Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. It's good to see y'all. Um, if you're with us for the first time, we all know we've got a couple of visitors in the room. I want to kind of catch you up on what we're doing. Uh, we've been, for the last uh, better part of this year, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And I want to kind of explain to you what that book is about. So there's a, a group of people um, who had heard of Jesus. And they decided that they were going to put their faith and their trust in him. And as a result, their families who did not believe in Jesus started to ridicule them. They started to pick on them and they, they outcast them from their families. And they said, because you don't believe what we believe, we're going to treat you differently than we have before. And so they lost their families, they lost their friends, they lost their homes. And so this, this book that we find in scripture called Hebrews was actually a letter that was written to this church or these several churches to encourage them as they were feeling those feelings of not belonging, of not being loved, of not being a part of something that they'd always been a part of. This letter comes to them as a word of encouragement. And today we're going to pick up in chapter 9 and we're going to see the author of Hebrews explaining the difference between what they used to believe, what their families believed, and what they now have chosen to believe in the person of Jesus. So as we, as we dig into that this morning, I want to kind of have that, that framing in your mind that this is a letter of encouragement, that we're looking at what we call the Old Covenant, the way that people approach God before Jesus came, and now the New Covenant, which is how we approach God through the life of Jesus that we've been talking about and singing about all morning of because of his sacrifice because he gave himself for us now we have an opportunity to enter the presence I wanted to to, to just kind of audibly say thank you to Glenn for covering for me last week uh, and he did a great job of preparing us of talking about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant and understanding our place in that and how that affects us today as we move forward in chapter 9 we're going to see the author making that comparison and specifically how it changes how we're able to interact with God because it's significantly different after Jesus comes than it was before. Today as we as we kind of get started I want us to think about for a moment kind of the beauty of language right and I'm talking specifically about English because that's the one that I know I can say about four things in Spanish uh, but that's another story for another day um, but we have the ability to be very specific Yet because all of our life experiences are different, we can say one thing and think that the person that's hearing us understands what we're saying when in fact they can understand something completely different than what we were trying to communicate. Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience before where you thought you were saying something and people, all right, okay, so we all get that, okay? Just because we think we understand something doesn't mean that we really understand it fully. As I was thinking about this idea I was reminded of um, a science class that I had when I was in the sixth grade, I believe it was. Um, our science class, that was, I don't know how they do it now, but when I was in sixth grade, they did this little experiment before you went to junior high. They had us change classrooms, but we were all on the same hall. So we like stood in lines, it was awkward, and we passed each other and went to a different classroom. Um, but my, so my science class was in a different room than all the rest of them. And my science class was doing a beta test of curriculum, which is always a great way to do things, right? We're going to test this before we send out to the masses. But the curriculum was written by NASA. And if you know me, I was really into that. That was a really, really cool thing. And so they were doing this, this lesson one day to help us understand how important it is that we communicate clearly. And they, they set us up uh, at tables and they put us in groups. And they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to write a list of instructions or procedures 
about how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, even my little ones down here. Okay, everybody understands how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So get in your teams and write down every step that's necessary in order to make this peanut butter jelly sandwich. So everybody did that. And then we traded instructions with the other teams. And I said, okay, now here's the bread. Here's the peanut butter. Here's the jelly. We want you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich following only the instructions that you have been given. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. You can't assume things. You literally do what is written on the piece of paper. And it was really hilarious how many sandwiches were made that did not look like a sandwich. Because there are things that we assume, like you would write something down like after you've put the peanut butter and the jelly on the sandwich, you put the two together. But no one thought to say put the peanut butter and jelly together. And so there were a lot of sandwiches where they were backwards and that was messy. But the point that they were trying to make is that the way we communicate is significant. The, the way we talk about things is important. And the fact that because you wrote it the way you perceive the world doesn't mean that someone else is going to follow those instructions because their perception may be different. And if we apply that to the larger scope of what they were trying to teach us, if an astronaut is in space and there's a procedure that hasn't taken that into account, it literally could end their life if they do something incorrectly. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Apollo 13. Anybody, do you remember the part where the, the spaceship is starting to die and they're having to move into a capsule that wasn't designed and the, the carbon dioxide is getting too big and so they have to figure out how to make a round filter fit in a square hole. Okay, I've watched that scene so many times because I love all things space and I love that movie and Tom Hanks is a great actor. But that's what this was about. It was about figuring out how to write down instructions in a way that people could understand it. The reason I want to draw our attention to that today is because of the way the author of Hebrews describes what's happening in the temple during the Old Covenant. Look with me. We're going to start in chapter 9 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And I want us to understand this as we move in, that complete understanding is important. And in some cases, a complete understanding is life-changing. Just because we think we fully understand something doesn't necessarily mean that we do. Read this passage with me. It says, Now, the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation of loaves. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had a gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered with gold on all sides, in which the gold jar containing the manna, y'all remember that from the desert, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. Okay, so that first part, the description of the holy place and the most holy place. You remember that when we went through the book of Exodus. We've talked about that before a lot in the book of Hebrews. And how there was the outer room, the first room it describes it, which was the holy place, which the priest could enter. And that's where every week they would come in and they would, they would put the, the sacrificial bread, the loaves, on the gold plate. But then there was the most holy place, which was inside of that. And only the high priest could enter that room and only once a year. We've heard all of that before, but did you notice what he says in verse 5? He makes a statement that kind of caught me this week, and hopefully it caught you too. But he says, look at verse 5, the end of that. It says, it's not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. 
that grabbed my attention. It makes me want to take a closer look at that. And if you look closely in your scripture, whether you got it on your Bible or you're holding it, you're going to see a footnote there. And that footnote is going to take you to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. And look what it says. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron what he may, that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die. Because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So Moses is being told by God to remind his brother Aaron that he cannot just go into the most holy place. Because that's where God is. And if he does, he'll what? He'll die. And that's kind of a bad deal, right? Nobody wants to die. Okay. Got any guesses why the author of Hebrews is saying that he can't discuss that in further detail? Think about the story I told you about science class and procedures and language. Why is it that he can't speak in more detail? He's never been in there. He's never seen it with his own eyes. All this time we've been talking about the holy place and the most holy place. What we're talking about is what we've seen in Scripture. But we have never been in that most holy place, right? There's only one guy once a year that's allowed to go into that room. And so the author of Hebrews is pointing out the fact that there is something about this that none of us can know because we haven't been there. He can only share the details that have been shared with him. He is repeating the descriptions and the purposes of those things as he's been told. Imagine for for a moment that your whole life people had told you about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches conceptually you have an idea of what that would look like but you've never actually eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich raise your hand if you've ever if you've never eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich jude what oh my gosh okay he has if i was whew, me and dad's gonna have to have a talk after church okay well sorry you're lost <laughs> If you'd never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you can't understand. I'm fixing to make y'all hungry. You can't understand the nuanced flavors that come when you get your favorite nut butter, whatever that might be, and your favorite jelly in the right ratios, because that's important in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And taking that bite, okay? And I'll be honest, I don't, my kids, well, the older ones aren't here today, but they would probably be like, Dad, what are you talking about? Because I don't eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's too much sugar. It makes me feel weird. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But if you've never actually eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you can't really understand what it feels like and what it tastes like to eat the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that's, that's the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make. Is that because no one could go in that room where the presence of God was, they couldn't understand what it felt like to be in the presence of God. Conceptually, they could understand. They could think about it theoretically they could understand but they couldn't know for themselves not only had he never been in that room but prior to the holy spirit he'd also never experienced god's presence in his life he can't speak in detail about the fulfillment of all those promises that are contained within that most holy place all the things that are in that room were simply placeholders they were reminders of what god had promised that he would do through his son jesus as I was thinking about this idea this morning, um, y'all, I've told you all this before, I listen to music while I'm, I'm praying and prepping and all that. As I'm thinking through this, 
the, the, this hymn came on that we're all familiar with. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Church, think about how lucky we are. That because of the work of Jesus on the cross, that when we trust our faith in him, it says that the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, indwells in us. And because of that, we can look fully at the wonder of his glory and grace. We are in the holy of holies because Jesus is in us. No longer do we have to go to a singular place in one spot on the earth. Now as we move through life, Jesus, His holy presence is inside of us. And what the author of Hebrews is describing is a time and a place where that was not the case. Where people didn't have that opportunity. Every week when we gather and we sit together and we share our stories or we get to hear other people's stories of God's activity in our life, that is something that they could never understand prior to Jesus. They didn't get to sit around and talk about what God did and spoke into their lives that week. Because they couldn't go into his presence. Or what? They would die. See, the sacrifice of Jesus is that he took that death from us. He died so that we could enter the presence of God and not die ourselves. The Israelites had a description of God and his glory. But they never knew it. We have the opportunity to know him because he's living in us. We've heard this before, but look again at what the author says. Verse, chapter 9, verses 6 through 10, he says, With these things prepared like this, he's talking about that room, the priest enter the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does not, uh, but he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people uh, had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way to the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. Church, there was a time in all of our lives when we didn't know the Holy Spirit, when we had not trusted Jesus yet. We can, we can understand what that feels like to be separated from God and contrast that with what we feel now, knowing the Holy Spirit, knowing Jesus. And if you're here today and you have not trusted Jesus and you don't know what it feels like, there's good news. We can help with that. Jesus has made himself available every day, including today. And if you're in that place today, you're in good company because all of us were there at one point. None of us are born knowing the Holy Spirit. That's something that all of us, the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us and it happens in this way or it happens through conversations. But all of us are born outside of the Holy Spirit, outside of a relationship with God. We're born in sin. We talked about that this morning. The sin of one. Remember Leah read that this morning. The sin of one put us all into the same category. And the sacrifice of one restored the relationship that was broken because of that sin. For so many before us, this covenant didn't exist, and the new covenant, and their experiences with God were exceedingly limited. 
They only got to experience God vicariously through the priest who worked in the temple. But this is what the author is pointing to. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 again. It says, The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way to the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. It was not until Jesus destroyed the first temple and rebuilt it again in three days that the high priest could enter the presence of God. Y'all remember Jesus saying that? He said, I will destroy that temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical building. He was talking about the separation that existed between man and God. And I've shared with you guys before how much I love to share the imagery of when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that separated the inner room from the outer room, from the holy place to the most holy place, was ripped from top to bottom. Because now God's presence was no longer confined to that one place. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of His sacrifice, the presence of God has been made available to all people. As I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of the prophet Malachi. His writings are the last book in the Old Testament. If you read through that short short four-chapter book, you're going to see accusation after accusation after accusation that God is making upon the people. The things that they're doing wrong. And at the end of that book is what we refer to as the 400 years of silence where God didn't speak through any prophets until John the Baptist is born and begins to declare the coming Messiah. All that had been done prior to Jesus, all the sacrifice, all the attempts at righteousness, all that people did to better themselves was fruitless. It did nothing to get them any closer to God. The law and the regulations didn't draw people to know the person of God. And they were even prevented from entering into his presence. If you weren't a priest, you were not going in. We see this same idea prevalent in church today as people still try to work to earn God's favor. They still look at God and they say, he is holy and I am not. And I got to get myself better before I can get in his presence. And it's just not true. Jesus already has done all that needed to be done. Look what Malachi says in in chapter 4 verse 2. He says, but for you who fear my name, and remember, we, we says, Scripture says fear, that means to live in right relationship. For those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Picture that in your mind. Anybody ever seen a calf jumping around? What about goat yoga? You seen goat yoga? That's what he's talking about. Okay, that's the kind of experience. He's saying that that those of us who live in right relationship, that, that this Messiah is coming. And when he comes, we're all going to get to experience something that we've never experienced before. Goat yoga. Okay, maybe not goat yoga. But he's talking about the beauty of what's about to come. He's talking about joy and peace and freedom that's to come through knowing God personally by experience. No longer do you have to just only have this description that's been passed down and passed down and passed down of what God's presence is like and where it resides inside this room with these special things. Now the presence of God is available to all of us. That's what Glenn was talking about last week. The freedom that comes from knowing God by experience as we walk in obedience. That's what the gathering place people have enjoyed. That's what we know is knowing God personally by experience. 
And that's what God's called us to share with both the unbelievers and the believers that are around us. I know that many of us still struggle with comparing ourselves to others or fighting the lies of the enemy that we're not good enough, that we don't add up. The enemy's tactic is to just twist the truth. That's his best tool. Is to say, yes, Jesus did die, but. There is no but. That's the end. That's all that needed to be done. And while we say that we believe that Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins, often we're still convinced that we must do something to reconcile that relationship with God. That yes, Jesus died, but I still got to get this and this done in my life before he'll accept me, before he'll love me. And that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that God loves you no matter what. And he wants you to know, not just in your mind, but in your heart. And when you sin this week, and you will, remember that Jesus loves you. That there's no reason to run or hide from him. He's aware of your sin, and that's why he died. That's why he gave himself. I was thinking about how to process this in my own life this week and I remembered a story from when I was a kid I think I was in about fifth grade Um, and if you've ever been around fifth grade boys you know pre-middle school you'll get this you'll understand it I went to I don't know if they still do this in school but used to if you need to go to the bathroom during middle class you had to get a hall pass anybody had to get a hall pass before okay so I, I go get my hall pass and I go to the bathroom I'm coming back and I'm walking down the wall and I see a thermostat on the wall and I just flicked her down if you ever wondered why they have those plastic boxes on them now, it's because of me, okay? And so I'm walking, and I flip the thermostat, and then I hear a voice. Then I know behind me say, Will Butterfield, what are you doing? I didn't know anybody was in the hall with me. I thought I was alone. It was a family friend of ours who worked at the school who worked in the office. And she gave me a good chewing, as she should have. If you don't know what that means, that's country for she fussed at me real good, okay? And... This was a Thursday evening, and I remember that specifically because Friday was the parish fair. Anybody go to the parish fair this weekend? Okay, did you see any of the animals? Were the animals still there when you went, or did you just go to the carnival? A bunch of jerks. You should have gone see the animals. They're more fun. Okay, maybe not. Anyway, so Friday's the parish fair, and we're going because my family raised sheep, and we showed sheep. And this friend who caught me messing with the thermostat in the hallway was also going to be there because her son showed cows. And... She and my parents were really good friends. And now I'm afraid. (laughs) Because if my dad finds out, I'm going to be in trouble. So Friday we get to the show. And I do my very best to avoid my dad. Which is difficult because we're doing the thing. Also doing my very best to avoid this lady. And also make it so that my dad avoids this lady. Because that's a lot happening in a fifth grader's mind. So Friday comes and goes. And nothing is mentioned. I go... I made it. I just got to get through Saturday and then it'll all be over. And so Saturday comes and the shows happen that morning because that's what you're prepping for Friday. And the shows get done and we're in this moment of lull between the end of the show and the beginning of the sale. And everybody kind of disperses from the barn. And I'm like, oh man, I made it. She didn't say anything. And then I hear my dad's whistle. And I look across the barn and he's coming towards me with that look that only a dad has right, that buries into your soul and you realize, I am about to die. And he comes across the barn and we have a conversation, but because there are other people around, he doesn't discipline me the way that he would if we were at home. And he sits me down in a chair and says, don't get up until I tell you to. And I remember sitting in that chair being furious. I was furious with my dad. I was furious with this lady that told on me who I thought loved me. 
And as I thought through that process this week, I realized that we approach God in the same way. We sin, we mess up, we know it, He knows it, but we try to avoid Him to not have to deal with the sin. And so rather than running to the Father who wants to forgive us, we run away from Him and we live in guilt and we live in shame and we live in fear of how the Father's going to respond. If I'd have gone to my dad, my mom that evening when school ended and said, Dad, I did a dumb thing and I'm sorry, it'd have been over. But I got in more trouble not because I did, I messed with a thermostat. I got in trouble because I didn't tell him. I got in trouble because I didn't do what I should have done, which is just dealt with the problem. And so often in our lives when we mess up, when we don't do the thing that we should have done, or we sin in a way that we didn't want to sin, or we sin in a way that we did intend to sin, we move away from the Father and we force ourselves to live in guilt and shame and fear and agony for no reason. We're living like we're still under the law. We're living like we have to make this massive sacrifice in order to be made right with the Father. But the reality is, is that the Father has already paid the price He's already taken the punishment that we deserve. And He's begging for us to just come to Him, to come to the Father and let Him forgive us. All of us struggle with that. And while that's a fun story to tell now, what I've realized as an adult is that I live that way on a regular basis with the Father. Even though I know the truth, I understand grace. It's so ingrained in me that that's my natural response. And I know that I'm not alone in that. And I also know that there are people all around us that still live in that system where they mess up and they know they mess up and they run from the Father because they are ashamed of it or they're scared of how He's going to respond. And eventually God's going to deal with that sin. He's going to address it. And it's always better if we go to him. Because when we don't, Oswald talked about this. I think it was Oswald. Maybe it was Blackaby this morning about how our sin affects the people around us if we don't let God deal with it. As Glenn talked about last week, there are so many around us and sometimes even us that still relate to God the way that I related to my father in this story. Fearful and running and avoiding because we don't want to deal with it. We know we're guilty and we avoid God because we don't want to admit our sin. And then when God does bring us into correction, we blame God and everybody else around us for the results of that discipline instead of going back to ourselves and saying, if I'd have just gone to the Father, we could have avoided this. The law was powerless then and it's still powerless today. Look at verse 10 again. He says, they are physical regulations. Talking about the law. They're physical regulations and they only deal with food and drink and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. That's the old covenant. The law is is unable to affect our hearts in any meaningful way. It never was able to do that. It was simply a shadow of a glory that was to come. The author of Hebrews is taking the time to walk us through this theology, which is a fancy way of saying this is what we believe. That's what theology is. It's the words that we use to communicate what we believe. He's taking the time to walk us through this again and again because he wants people, he wants you, he wants his church. He wants them to understand 
the grace that has been given to us, that we no longer live under that legal system anymore. That Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. For generations, the glory of God was hidden from the people because if it was exposed, the sin in their life, when it met with God's presence, it would cause them to die. But that's no longer the case. God's glory is no longer hidden from us. Now, because of Jesus, we're no longer bound by the old covenant, but are living under the new covenant, in which God's presence is not only available to us, but it lives inside of all that call themselves a believer, who've trusted in Jesus. God has no desire to relate to us in the way that I described in my story today. He desires to be one with us. God wants us to run to Him with our sin. And not only will He forgive us, but He's also going to go further, and He's going to work in your lives to remove the sin so that you don't have to struggle with that anymore. That's the kind of relationship that we were created to have, to walk in unison with the Father in the garden, enjoying the creation. That's what He's longing for. That's what we're longing for. But the only way to get that is to run to Jesus and not away from Him. We need it. Our families need it. Our neighbors need it. Our friends, our co-workers, all of them need to see the glory of who God is. They need to understand that that glory is no longer hidden It's no longer encapsulated inside the Holy of Holies. The glory of God is out amongst His people. God didn't send Jesus because He had to. He sent Him because that's who He is. He is love. He acts in love. He overflows with love. He loves you and He loves your people. You are the way and you you are in the place that you are. And you are who you are because of what you've come to know about who God is. Because you know Him personally. You know Him by experience. And His glory overflowing in your life will be what begins to draw people to Him. That's His plan for us. That's His plan for your life. Not just where you work right now. Just not what stage your family or your personal life is in. This is not a moment in which God says, I want you to focus on sharing who I am with other people. This is who we are as a people. It's who we will always be as a people. Until we are united with Jesus, our goal in life is to share the truth about who He is with people who don't know Him. That's it. Amen. That was an amen right there. Thank you, Ray-Ann. I want you to hear me say this today, guys. God has placed you where you are because that's where He needs you to be. You take that however you want to take it. Whether that's work, family, where you live, church you go to God's put you where he needs you to be where he wants you to be and he's put you there not just to work not just to play not to just enjoy he's put you there to share the overflow to talk with those people about what God's doing in your life and Oswald today he references John 14 verse 12 if you read this you'll you'll recognize he says truly I tell you the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these Because I am going to the Father. We've read that so many times. I've read that to you. Jesus is saying to you and I that if we will abide in Him, He's going to do greater works through us than He did Himself while He was on earth. That's big. Look what Oswald goes on to say. He says, prayer does not prepare us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. It's that relationship with God. It's that communion with Him. It's only by spending time in the presence of God that we can ever hope to share that presence with somebody else. 
If I've never made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I can't tell you how to make one. And if I've never walked with the Lord, I can't tell you how to walk with the Lord. If I've never experienced His presence, I cannot tell you what it's like. I can share with you what I've heard it's like, but it'll only be a shadow. Today, as we close up, here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend some time. The band can go ahead and come up. I want us to spend a few moments today by yourself where you are. I want you to think about where you are in your relationship with God. If you don't have one, this is a great time to talk with the Lord about that. If you do have a relationship with God, if he's got your, you on your mind right now, or if he's got somebody else, that person that he's called you to invest in, to share that overflow with, Here's what I want us to do. We're going to bow our heads in just a minute. We're going to take a few moments and just pray silently right where you are. And just deal with whatever God's got on your heart. Whatever that is. If it's yourself, if it's somebody else, if it's whatever. Just take some time. Let's spend some time in prayer with the Holy Spirit right now today. And I'll close this up and then we'll finish out with some worship, okay? Let's pray together. God, as we, as we pray silently here in just a moment, I want to ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds. Father, that as we spend some moments with you, that your spirit would speak truth into our lives, that you would reveal the things that you desire for us to do. Father, if we are a believer here today and we know you, God, I ask that you would reveal to us whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, whether that's overflowing into someone else's or if it's work that you got in our personal life, God, reveal that to us right now. Father, if there's a person in this room today who doesn't know you, I ask that you would draw them by your Holy Spirit as it says in your word that you will do. Father, you would reveal the need in their life for you, for a, a perfect Savior who came and took the sacrifice that we deserve, took the punishment that we deserve. So, Father, right now as we pray where we are, God, I ask that you work in our hearts. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for revealing the presence of God to us. For no longer being hidden in one place. Father, as we, as we move forward at the beginning of this week, God, I ask that your glory would no longer be hidden, not only to us, but the people around us. That, Father, you would orchestrate our lives in such a way that we would see your work, we would feel your presence. And that the people around us would feel your presence and see your work in our lives. And that that would overflow into their lives. That they would begin to have experiences with you that they cannot explain. That are bigger than this world. That are obviously you. Jesus, thank you for paying the price so that we could be one with you. Thank you for fulfilling the law. For doing what we could not do. Jesus, thank you. Thank you.